Give all of our visitors a hand. Glad to see our visitors in the house of the Lord with us today. We appreciate you being with us. Thankful to have you. Praise God, and I appreciate the people in this church that are called to ministry that can preach and, and work, and I'm thankful to see young people on fire for the Lord. Brother Elijah, come preach to us today. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, God has been good to me. I know he has. Thinking about stuff like that, like was, what he was just talking about. Man, I tell you, from experience, you know, I'm only 23 years old, but I can tell you that testimony of, of being born in church and, and dedicated to God at a young age and living your whole life for God and knowing that, yeah, I've fallen flat on my face and I've made mistakes before, but I've never walked away from Him. That testimony, that'll get you through some things. It will hold you in the middle of the storm. I'm telling you, God will keep you if you hold on to that testimony. Don't doubt that testimony. It is worth it. It's worth it, I tell you. Man, I remember. Boy, I remember all the times that I fell flat on my face. You know, and I had an excuse to walk away in my own mind, in my flesh. I had a, a, a reason to step away in doubt and fear and, and, and guilt and self-condemnation covered my soul. I, I remember that feeling, but I remember that knowledge that I was born in this, that I was called at a young age. I remember that testimony that I had, and it kept me, and it will keep you. So those are wise words from your pastor. You hold on to that testimony. Don't you let that go. And speaking of my pastor and my uncle, I'm thankful for him giving me this opportunity to come up here and preach today. You know... It's a, it's a blessing to stand behind this pulpit that's got my, my heritage written on the front of it, my, my family that's, uh, I'm a fourth generation apostolic, and this got his name on it, man, I, I tell you, it's a blessing to be here, it's a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, thank you for standing, I'm going to start reading in uh, James chapter 1, <clears throat> while you're standing, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it's a pretty smart guy, and it's a short book, you might might want to go read that. You know, it's a good book to read and real short. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Say amen if you got it. <clears throat> My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's pray today. God, I thank you, Lord, for the spirit that you've let sweep through this place. God, the liberty that's in this place. Lord, I thank you for the mercy that's new every morning, God, that covers me and every other person under the sound of my voice. God, I ask that you would let your blood, God, sweep through this sanctuary like a flood and wipe out every thought of condemnation, every thought of doubt, any negative influences, God, that will be trying to speak into your people's lives. God, I speak life into every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I speak liberty under the, in, in, under the sound of my voice right now, God. Lord, let your spirit reign supreme in this place, God, and let your word go forth and not come back void in every person's life right now in the name of Jesus. And I'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give us a praise right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated today. I'm, uh, I'm not going to be very long. I don't feel like I'm going to be very long. Uh, so just bear with me. And my voice is kind of going out, so you know, just bear with me in that also. I'm going to turn to Job 37. Job 37, 5 through 13. It says this, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth. Likewise to the small rain and the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man that all men may know his work. Then the beasts go into dens and remain in their places. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind and the cold out of the north. By the breath of God frost is given and the breadth of the waters is straightened or frozen. Also... By watering he wearieth the thick cloud and scattereth his bright cloud. And it is turned around, by, turned around about by his counsels. 
that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world and the earth. The clouds and the storms, everything that's described in these verses is turned round about by his counsels that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world and the earth. He causeth it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Correction, land, or mercy. If your storm is from God, it is there to correct you, to bless you, or use you. No other reason. No other purpose. Nahum 1 and 3 says this, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Boy, I'll tell you right now, I could stop and put the mic down right now. That's enough. He has his way in the whirlwind (laughs) and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Let me tell you something. Whenever you see the clouds swirling around above you, that might look dark and it might look scary, but that means that the Lord is on his way. You see the clouds swirling and it's getting dark and scary. God is on his way. That is your sign that he is there, that he's with you. The clouds are the dust of his feet. Your circumstances that are dark and scary are the evidence of his presence in your life. Woo! That's enough right there. He is with you. God, have mercy. Now, for just a few moments... Today, I'm going to talk to you about being in the storm. Being in the storm. And I'm not going to be long, I promise. Now listen, I need to make some disclaimers here, okay? Not everything bad that happens in your life is from a storm. Okay? Like you hit your pinky toe on the coffee table on the way to the ice cream at 3 in the morning. That's not a storm. You're just clumsy, okay? Or you wash your dog, and then as soon as it gets outside, its mud hole radar is on 100%. You don't have an unspoken request. You have a dirty dog. That's, dogs are dirty. They like dirt. That's normal. Okay? Life happens. But, all jokes aside, sometimes storms do come in this life. Okay? And they affect us on many levels, and we need to know how to handle these things. We need to know how to handle the circumstances that are coming our way because storms in the natural are violent. They come in many forms and they can cause devastating damage to those affected by them. And the same is true for spiritual storms. Spiritual storms are when things in the supernatural start shifting in our lives and altering things in the natural. Okay, These things happen in the spirit can affect us on almost every level, and it is our job as children of the living God to stand still, analyze the situation, and react appropriately. Because there are different types of storms in the natural. There's, there's hail, there's, there's rain, there's, there's snow, there's all, tornadoes, cyclones, all kinds of different storms in real life, in, in, in the natural life. I don't say real life because the Spirit's real too, but in the natural, the things that we can see and feel and hear and touch There are different kinds of storms in which if you react incorrectly to those storms, you will die. There are certain things that you do in certain storms to survive. And if you do not live by those rules in those storms, you will die. You will not survive. And the same is true for spiritual storms. The same is true for things operating in the supernatural. There are different things that happen in your life in the supernatural that affect you on a physical level, that affect you on a mental, emotional, and spiritual level that if you do not react appropriately, it will be your downfall. You have to stay still and see the salvation of God. You have to stand still and and find his his voice, just like Elijah standing on the hilltop. He saw the whirlwind come and the storm and the lightning and all those things come. It, It was that still, small voice that spoke to him. And his voice was not in the whirlwind. It wasn't in the storm. It wasn't in the lightning. It was in the still, small voice. And we, as children of God, we've got to be able to to anchor ourselves in the Lord, stand still in the middle of that storm, no matter how difficult and crazy the circumstances may feel, you have to be able to stand still in the Lord and analyze your situation and react appropriately. 
So many times people feel storm in their life, and their initial response is exactly what most people's response would be to a natural storm. Run. You know, get out, hide, bunker, survive, okay? Get me out of here. That's everybody's initial response to a storm. And if it's not, then you're crazy. If you, I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's interesting to see the lightning and the thunder and the, the, the noises and everything that happens in a storm. But if you're going to sit on your front porch and watch a tornado, then you're crazy. I don't care what you say. You're crazy. Get to shelter. Now, listen, now that's just in the physical, and I'm joking. You know, some people, that's their job, you know, the storm chasers. You know, if that's, you know, if that's your your job, then God bless you, but I ain't one of them. <laughs> but, you know, now sometimes God is happy to oblige whenever you're in a storm like that, in a spiritual storm. Sometimes he's happy to just be like, okay, I'll pull you right out. But sometimes when the storm is sent from God, his will is not for you to escape, but it's for you to stay and experience that storm so you can learn the lesson and, or, or accomplish the goal that he set before you with that storm. And that's hard to do. It's, it's hard to bury your flesh. It's hard to, to, uh, to hold the flesh down and listen to your spirit and be like, this is not for me to escape. This is for me to learn from. But if you can, if you can do that, if you can conquer your flesh and put on the mind of Christ and really stand still and analyze the situation that you're in, and understand what's going on around you. You may not know the detail, you know the checkpoints and the end result of your storm, but if you will understand what that storm is there to do, then you can respond appropriately and you'll come out on the other side. Now, to my knowledge, I'm going to break this down as fast as I can. I've got a lot of notes, but it's all in detail, so I'm going to go through them pretty quickly, okay? There are two different kinds of storms in the supernatural, to my knowledge, okay? There are storms that are from God, and there are storms that are from Satan. Okay, and now some of you right now are thinking, Satan can't send a storm my way. He can't touch me. You know, I'm bad. I'm, I'm covered by the blood. I'm bought. I'm sanctified. Satan can't touch me, you know. And to an extent, I agree with you, but to those of you who are untouchable, I would urge you to remember the words of Jesus and the words of the Scriptures that say Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to bring life. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If we have an adversary that is seeking to devour us, steal our things, kill and destroy everything that we are and have, and sift us as wheat, I am thankful for the words of the Lord that he has prayed for my faith. Because I will need that faith in the middle of my storm. I will need that faith when my enemy comes upon me. Look to Job, okay? I'm going to paraphrase and go through the story of Job. And as we begin to break these storms down that come from our adversary, remember in Nahum, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storms. So even whenever we're under attack, it still has to pass by God. And he'll never allow more to come on us than we can bear. So as we look to Job, we see the things that Satan has access to when God allows it and the things that he can never have access to. There are certain things that he's allowed to touch and there are other things that he's never allowed to touch. Satan can touch your stuff and he can touch your body, but he cannot touch your soul. He can attack you on an emotional level. He can whisper doubt and lies into your mind with fiery darts. But that's when the prayers of our Lord cover us. If we cling to the shield of faith, if we stay strong in our faith in the Lord, the darts will bounce off of us. I'm telling you, it's true. He'll he'll attack your mind. He'll attack your body. But there's something about your soul that is bought by the blood of Jesus. And that's why I said I agree with you to an extent because your soul is bought by Jesus Christ. He owns your soul and it is his property. There is nothing about your soul that is accessible by Satan. Nothing about your soul is accessible unless you open it up and give it to him. But if you're living up a life that is righteous under God, if you're living a life that is holy and sacrificial to God and bought by the blood of the Lamb and baptized into his name and filled with his spirit, your soul is untouchable. Now, we see the things that Job suffered through, 
and the things that were put in his mind by the scriptures following. He, he lost his children, his livestock, his home, his health, and then depression began to settle in, and his friends started to condemn him, and his wife told him that he should just curse God and die, and all the voices around him condemned him, a righteous man, until he caved under the pressure and began to curse the day that he was born and wish that he never existed. The one thing that Satan could not touch was Job's life, his soul. That is a satanic attack. Romans 8 tells us that there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus or who, walk after the, who don't walk after the flesh but walk after the spirit. If you are in a storm and you look around and you see your stuff suffering in the natural, your body suffering in the natural, and your emotions are paying the price for it, and depression is knocking on your door, and condemnation is whispering in your ear, it is not a storm from the Lord, it is a storm from Satan, only Satan will condemn you God will not condemn you whenever you're bought under his blood and filled with his spirit and baptized into his name through water baptism. He will not condemn you. There is no condemnation in Christ. God will not pressure you with condemnation. He will pressure you with conviction. There won't be a feeling of you should just curse God and die. How could you be in a child of God do something like that? You should just be cast out. You're just a burden to your church family and your family. You should just leave. You're pathetic. Or here's a common one. If God really loved you, would he really allow you to go through something like that? Would he really take that away from you? Would he really let these thoughts come to your mind? Stop. 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 That is not God. That is not God. That is Satan. If it is from God, you hear, stop going down that path. Don't do that anymore. Repent. Come back to me. I can fix this, but you have to stop doing these same things. Let me help you go back and do the first works. Come back to your first love, or you'll hear, it rains on the just and the unjust. The Lord gives and he takes away. He has loved you with an everlasting love. What can separate you from the love of Jesus? There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation under his spirit. There is only conviction and repentance and the saving of your soul. He will not condemn you whenever you're in the middle of a storm. Only Satan will condemn you. That, I'm telling you, God is on your side. There are two different avenues that these storms come from, and it is either to destroy you or to develop you, and for no other reason. No other reason. And if you can stop and analyze your situation and recognize this storm is here to destroy me and not teach me anything, Once you've identified the storm in your life as an attack from your adversary, you have to handle it the right way because it's always a giveaway that your storm is an attack from your adversary when your material possessions are the target, your body is the target, depression sets in, thoughts of self-condemnation, self-worthlessness, anything that contradicts the word of God starts to creep into the front of your mind. That is not a storm from God. That is not a storm from God. That is a storm from your adversary. Okay, you got to understand that. And once you acknowledge what kind of storm you are dealing with, once you acknowledge what kind of situation your life is in in this present moment, you've got to respond in the correct way. You've got to respond in the Jesus way. If you respond incorrectly, it will cost you your soul. You've got to respond. Just like Job retained his integrity through all of his attacks, we must retain our integrity. Just because our life is in the middle of a storm, that does not change who you are. That does not change who God is. So that should not change your worship or your praise or your prayer life or your church attendance, your relationship with your peers and your family. Stay true to who you are in Jesus Christ. Hold on to your integrity. Don't let go of the things. Don't let go of the old landmarks. Don't let go of the things that got you to this point. Stay true to who you are. Stay true to Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is in you, and you will get through that storm. WWJD, what would Jesus do? For real, what would Jesus do? Look at the way he handled himself whenever he was bombarded with temptation during his fast in the wilderness. He handled every temptation and every thought with Scripture. Every single one, he came back with scripture. You're worthless. I'm bought with a price. You're useless. I'm called to his purpose. 
You have nothing in God. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for you to prosper. Plans to be, to be used in my kingdom. Yeah, yeah. You're, you don't have an eternal home. I have, I have a home in Christ. I've got a crown waiting for me, a robe waiting on me. I'm going to walk down the street of gold. You don't have a way to heaven. I've been bought. I have been baptized in his name. I'm filled with his spirit. For real. And another little trick that I heard, I heard uh, Brother... Brother Jeff Arnold say one time, and it stuck with me. And he said, you have to think about it sometimes. You can, he, he always says, I talk back to the devil. I, you know, I just like to ignore him. I just want to punch him in his teeth sometimes. But, you know, you get attacked from the devil. And Jeff Arnold said one time, he said, you got to think that Satan messed up whenever there wasn't a devil. Yeah. Satan tripped and fell and, and rebelled against God whenever there wasn't a devil. We got a devil. We have an adversary. We have a, a, a tempter of our souls who is trying to trip us up and make us slip and fall. And so whenever you slip and fall, sometimes you just throw it back in his face. Be like, look, man, this is on you. You know, I messed up, but you did this. You're the one who messed up whenever there wasn't nobody trying to trick you. You did it all by yourself. Get out of here, stupid. Now, that's, you know, that's Jeff Arnold. I just thought that was funny, so I wanted to throw that in there. But, you know... It is what it is. But if you'll respond to the storm from your adversary with Scripture, then it will hold you. It will keep you afloat in the middle of your storm. Because the Word of God, Jesus said in His Word, He said to His disciples that people who will hold on to His sayings and His words, which is the Scripture, the Word of God is Jesus Christ, they're one and the same. And He said, if you'll hold on to these words that I'm saying, then you're like a man who's built his house on a rock. And when the storm comes and when the wind blows, then that, that house is going to stand. You know, but somebody who does not keep my sayings and somebody who does not keep my Scriptures and follow my Word is like a man who built his house on the sand. And whenever the storm comes, then his house is going to blow away. And so likewise, whenever you feel yourself under attack from your adversary and you acknowledge that it is an attack from Satan and it is not a storm to develop you from God, if you'll respond accordingly by living the word of God and staying true to who you are in Jesus Christ and and quoting the scriptures, learn those scriptures. I'm telling you, lean on the word of God. Learn and study the promises of God to those who are his and let them be at the front of your mind whenever you're in this kind of storm and you will come out victorious every single time. The word of God will never come back void. He'll never come back with you defeated if you stay in the word of God. If you know you're living right and you're under attack, stay in the word of God. Stand on the authority of the Holy Ghost that is inside you and God will bring an end to your storm. When his timing is right, he will deliver you. Now, I said before, that's, that's all, all the words I'm going to give to the devil. He's done. <clears throat> that's, I said before, there's, there's two types of storms, to my knowledge. There's storms from Satan and there's storms from God. The, the ones from Satan, and the storms from Satan are quite obviously there to tear you down and drag you away from your promises. But storms from God are literally the complete opposite. Yes, they can still feel rough, but they're not there to destroy you. They're there to teach you or to bless you in the long run, or they're there to use you to further the kingdom of God. Just like Job 37 told us, the storm that God sends is for correction, for land, or for mercy, to correct you, to bless you, or to use you to further his kingdom. Those are the only reasons I found in the scripture why God will send a storm your way. Reason number one, correction. This one hurts, man. It's not fun. The first kind of storm that God will send on to you is because of your own disobedience. You knew what was right. You did wrong anyways. And your own decisions have landed you on a path that God never intended for you to be on. And he's on a mission, of course, correction. Okay? This is where you can really distinguish between a storm from God and a storm from your adversary. When you disobey God... Your adversary will throw that in your face with feelings of shame and regret and condemnation like nothing you've ever felt before. He'll try and tear you down and take full advantage of your mistake. But though a good man falls, he should not be utterly cast down. When you fall, God will not condemn you. He will send a storm to rain in your life. And before it ever affects the things around you or before it ever affects your body or your material possessions, before it ever affects your emotions, it will affect your spirit. You'll feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost and it will call you to repentance. When you repent, 
boy, I tell you, that storm will rip the ground right out from underneath your feet. And when God says he has his way in the whirlwind, you find that out in a storm of course correction. You see, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that path leads to death. And when you make a disobedient decision that places you on a path that you were never designed to be on, and then you acknowledge your mistake and repent of your disobedience, that storm of God in your life will utterly destroy the path that you had placed yourself on through disobedience. It has to. You'll lose things, you'll let go of things, and you'll feel like you're in a whirlwind. But when it's all said and done, God will place you right back on the path to promise, and you will have found mercy. And that's worth praising God for. Some of you, God has promised you things, whether it's ministry or blessings or anointing, and somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, you made a decision that diverted your course. Now, that's like you got a highway and it's a straight and narrow path that's going to take us to our everlasting home, okay? Your disobedience is like an exit. And your path is trying to take you to heaven, okay? But your dis- disobedience diverts your course. And it sets you on a path that you were not designed to be on. And in order for God to save you from your disobedience and allow your repentance to be fulfilled, then it's like that good shepherd who, whenever the 99 sheep are found and the one is lost, that one has diverted its course, he has to go out and find that sheep. And it has to take it back. And now I'm going to tell you a trick. That sheep, it might take it a long time to get lost. It might take it a long time to find its way to the edge of that cliff and on the side of that mountain. But the shepherd is a lot faster and a lot stronger than that sheep is. And whenever that shepherd finds that sheep, then it'll take it away. It'll use its staff and it'll, it, it, that staff will comfort that sheep. It'll pull it out of the situation that it's in. And it won't take that shepherd nearly as long as it took that sheep to get back to the 99. The shepherd will get back there a lot faster. And because of that, it'll feel like a whirlwind for that sheep. That sheep might not know what's going on from the back of the shepherd. But if you'll just just trust the shepherd, that shepherd will take you away from the path of destruction that that sheep was on. And it'll bring you back to the house of God and bring you back to the path of promise. And no matter how difficult and crazy it might seem from the back of the shepherd, if you'll trust him whenever you repent, he will take you from your sin and bring you back to your promise. Every time, he will. And so, God still intends for you to reach your promise. But you can't ever get there on the path that your disobedience took you to. So in order for the word of the Lord to be fulfilled, he has to teach you repentance. And he has to correct your course so that you can attain the promise that he made to you. And look to Jonah. Jonah in the Bible was given a word to travel to Nineveh and preach to a heathen land. And Jonah absolutely refused and ran away from the word of God in his life. Now listen, if you take anything from what I'm telling you today, don't disobey God. Just don't do it. You know, because a storm, of course, correction, it can be rough. You know, whenever God sends that storm in your life, it can be, it can be heartache, it can be trouble. But it has to be that way in order to correct the path that you put yourself on. So don't disobey God. If you have a word of God in your life, go by it. If you have a word of God in your life, live by it. Okay, so Jonah directly disobeyed the word of the Lord. And that path would lead him to death. The the wages of sin is death. That path that Jonah was on would have killed him. Now, in order to not only save the lives of all the people in Nineveh, but to save the soul of Jonah, God cooked up a nasty storm. That would have destroyed the ship that Jonah had boarded. Jonah, man, that man, he was rebellious, okay? God said, come over here to Nineveh, and Jonah was right here, and he was like, nope, I'm going this way. He got on a ship, got on on the water, and took off, headed the complete opposite direction from Nineveh, okay? And so God cooked up a storm that would have destroyed the ship that he had boarded. And now Jonah, much like many of us, probably fell prey to the lies that told him that storm was there to destroy him for disobeying God. 
And many times we fall short. And that storm, of course, correction comes into our life and we feel those same lies. But it is not God's will that any of us should perish. Okay, He didn't want to destroy Jonah. He wanted to save Jonah from his disobedience. So Jonah convinces the men that he's the reason for the storm and he convinces them to throw him overboard. And God sends a great fish, probably a whale, I don't know, it says great fish, to swallow him whole and carry him to the shore of Nineveh and spit him out on the beach. Now, for real, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. He thinks he's about to die. He thinks God has sent this storm to destroy me for disobeying him. I'm just going to fall in the water and let the storm have its way with me. And a fish swallows him whole. And he's sitting in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And then that fish spits him out on the highway. And he looks up and sees Nineveh, two miles. And he's like... I thought I got away. But that storm, of course, correction, wanted to save Jonah's soul more than it wanted to punish him for his disobedience. And it's true, God's spirit and his love wants to save you from your own disobedience and from your own sin more than he wants to punish you for it. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he gave his blood so that we could be bought and covered by it. He, he doesn't want to punish you for your sins. And that's the number one lie that the enemy will tell your mind whenever you make a mistake is that you deserve punishment. And you probably do. But God wants to save you from that sin. He, he loves you enough to keep you in the middle of your sin and bring you back to the land of promise, no matter how bad your sin was. Now, let's see, where am I at? Jonah went on to deliver a word of salvation to the people of that city and fulfilled the word of God. And likewise, when you disobey God and make a decision that, that lands you on a path of destruction and separates you from the promises of God, God has no intention of destroying you. Instead, he just if you'll just give in to repentance and go through what is needed to restore you to a path of promise, go through what you have to go through, God will save your soul and restore everything that your disobedience took away from you. Everything that your sin took away from you, if you'll repent and give yourself to the storm, give yourself to the will of God just like Jonah did, then everything will be restored. Everything will be put back in its proper place. And that's the way that you handle being in a storm that is from God that you brought on yourself. The worst thing you can do is live in denial and continue down that path that your disobedience brought you to. Because you're never too lost for God to reach you and restore you. But the longer, listen to me, the longer you remain on that path that God never intended for you to be on, the shorter your path of promise gets. Now that's hard to hear because real life doesn't have checkpoints that you can just go back and reset everything. Okay? Your days on this earth are numbered. And one day that number runs out. And you don't want to waste your days that God has gifted you living on a path that he never intended for you to be on. So don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Telling you, give in to conviction. Give in to the love and the mercy that's new every morning. Give in to repentance. And that storm, of course, correction will come to an end whenever it brings you through whatever it is that it has to bring you through to get you back to your path of promise, that storm will come to an end. But you've got to, just like the other storms that I've already mentioned that are brought out in the Bible, you've got to respond appropriately. You've got to respond within the guidelines of the Word of God in order to come out victorious and come out on your path to promise. Otherwise, that storm will destroy you. Now finally... There are two other reasons that God allows a storm to come into your life for land and for mercy. And, and a lot of times in the Bible, these storms that God brings on your life, they, they work uh, together and almost do the same thing. Okay, To prosper you and to use you to prosper other people almost always go hand in hand. Okay, they almost always work together. And so these storms that God sends almost always do the same thing. And so to save time, I'm going to bring you some scriptures and, and bring you some incidences in the Word of God that, 
that the storms that God allowed to come on his people used, were used by him to both benefit the person that was in the storm and benefit the kingdom of God simultaneously, okay? <clears throat> so the purpose of the storms is for land and for mercy, and that is to bless you and to use you. The storm holds the same concept as the previous one, and that its purpose is never to destroy you. No matter how devastating the circumstances might seem, it's never to kill you or to tear you down, but it's always to prosper you in the end. It will always bless you or use you to further the kingdom of God in some way, shape, or form. And you might ask, how could a storm that brings pain and destruction bless me? That's a good question. Y'all asked that, right? You asked that in your mind? How did you make that up? Okay. That's a good question. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> how, <coughs> excuse me, how could it use me to bless somebody else if it's filled with pain? I will point you towards Joseph. Now, you can find his account in the Bible in Genesis between chapters 37 and 50. And so, so I don't have to sift through 13 chapters of Genesis. I'm going to paraphrase today. Um, at a young age, Joseph dreams two dreams, symbolic of his brothers and his family bringing their things and bowing before him. And this is a promise from God speaking power and authority into Joseph's life. And his brothers, they hate him already because he's their father's favorite son, but they hate him even more after hearing about these dreams. Okay, hint, siblings, don't talk about being the favorite amongst one another because it never ends well. Unless you're kidding, like don't be for real with it because it causes division and we don't like that. Excuse me. <clears throat> okay, so they come up with a plan to destroy him. Okay, they throw him in a pit with no water, and then they realize we don't really want to kill him. We just want to punish him. So they come back later after a few days and, and decide to sell him into slavery. And so he lives for, I can't remember the exact number, like seven years or something like that, like 10, 10 years, something like that in slavery in Potiphar's house. And so after a while, things turn out okay for Joseph because he's living true to God's word and he's living in like with integrity, the word of God. And after a while, he works himself up to where he's the head honcho. He's the head slave in Potiphar's house, okay? He's the number one guy. He's like Potiphar's home manager, okay? And unfortunately, that does not last long because apparently... Potiphar's wife thinks that Joseph is a stud and tries to seduce him over and over again. And finally, one day she grabs a hold of his cloak. And in order to, I guess she was strong, I don't know. I would think just like, get off me. But maybe Joseph was a wimp and he couldn't get her off of him. And so he, in order to get away, he rips his cloak off so that she doesn't get him into whatever she's wanting to do to him, and runs away. Now, that's the Scripture tells us, plain and simple, whenever you're faced with temptation, flee the scene. Get out of there because you're not strong enough. A lot of people, they'll look, especially young people in Christ, they'll look at themselves and they'll be like, I would never do something like that. I would never let myself fall into that trap. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You're not strong enough on your own. You get out of there. And that's exactly what Joseph did. <clears throat> that's free. You don't have to pay for it. <clears throat> and so Joseph, uh, clinging to his integrity and God and, and leaving that piece of manipulated evidence behind him, uh, she claims to her husband that Joseph initiated the whole thing and that she was innocent. She lies on him in his good name. And as a result of this, the lies told on Joseph by Potiphar's wife. Joseph finds himself in a jail cell with absolutely nothing but his good name in God. Nothing. <clears throat> but even then, like Pastor said in Sunday school, even then while he was in the jail cell, because he was true to God and lived righteously in God's eyes, then he was everything that his hand touched was blessed, even in the jail cell. So, you know, stay true to God in the middle of that storm too, okay? That's a little nugget of information. But during his sentence... Joseph discovers a gift that, from God that he can interpret the dreams of his cellmates. <clears throat> That's another little trick about staying true to God and living righteously in his eyes in the middle of a storm. If you stay true to God and don't give in to the temptation that the storms are bringing in your life, then God will bless you with gifts that you can use to get 
out of this situation permanently. Okay, and so he prophesies to two of his cellmates the death of one and the freedom of the other. And when his word comes to pass, he asks the man that, that uh, he prophesied his freedom to to remember him. Well, the man gets out, and you know how it goes. He forgets about the whole thing until Pharaoh has a dream that none of his sorcerers, none of his wise men can interpret. Now, Pharaoh, he's the head honcho, okay? And he's got a dream that he doesn't understand what it means. And none of his wise men, none of his sorcerers, none of his magicians, nobody can tell him what this dream means. And so, well, that's whenever the guy who remembers Joseph finally speaks up. And Joseph is released from prison to come before Pharaoh and prophesies the dream to mean seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt and seven years of famine in the land of Egypt. He warns Pharaoh to prepare for the famine during the years of plenty, and the nation will survive the famine. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at this point in time, listens to Joseph and makes him the second most powerful man in the world in charge of all the produce of Egypt, and the only nation in the land with food to spare is Egypt. And so Joseph's family, the people who threw him into slavery, come now to Egypt and bow before his feet to ask to buy food. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and the prophecy of God was finally fulfilled in Joseph's life, but only after 22 years of going through slavery in prison. From the time that he was thrown in that pit to the time that his brothers finally came up to him for the first time was 22 years. The story of Joseph is a remarkable story, and I have not done it justice today for time's sake, but if you get a chance, go back and study it, because you should. It will help you. Joseph went through a whirlwind that lasted over two decades between his promise and his blessing. And many of us pray that our storm does not last that long, but God knows what is best for us, and he knows exactly what each of us needs in order to fulfill his will in our lives. Joseph is a prime example of being put through a God storm for the purpose of his blessing. God knew that if Joseph didn't go through the things that he went through, he would never be able to save his family from the famine. The children of Israel would have died off long before Moses could ever come and rescue him out of Egypt. Joseph's storm not only brought him prosperity, but it grew the children of Israel to a nation of 2.2 million so that God's promise to Abraham could be held up. Joseph's storm not only blessed him, but it blessed the entire nation of Egypt, as without Joseph, the nation would have starved, having no idea that the famine was coming. That is a prime example of a God storm sent to your life, where you are living righteously in God's eyes. You have not sinned. You have not disobeyed God. You are living true to the word of God, and a storm comes on your life anyways, but it's for the purpose of bettering you and using you to better other people. Another beautiful example of this, and I'm moving fast. I promise I'm not going to be much longer. Okay, I'm on page 9 of 10. Okay, so uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, listen to these guys. God allowed them to be put in a position where they had to essentially bow before a pagan god or be cast into a furnace. He allowed them to be put into a position where they were overtaken by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. Okay, they had nothing. They were under Nebuchadnezzar. And God allowed them to be put in a position where they had to essentially let go of their faith in God or die. And God allowed them to be put in that position because he knew that they would stay true to him. God allowed them to be put in a storm because he knew their integrity. He, he allows you to go through some things in your life because he knows your integrity. Remember that. It was only after their rebellion to Nebuchadnezzar that they were thrown into the furnace and the image of the Son of God came and stood bodily in the furnace with them. That's enough. Blessing right there. That's they, they went through a storm, they were conquered, they stood before a pagan image and were told that they either bowed to this pagan image or died, and they were good men. They were good people living righteously in God's eyes as far as we know in the scripture. They were good, righteous men of God who were put in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm that they did not bring upon themselves, and it was only because God wanted to use them to bless his people and he wanted to use their storm to bless the three men. Okay, and so this image of that fourth man in the fire 
completely shook the heart of Nebuchadnezzar as he called them out and immediately promoted them, ordering the nation to bow only to the one true God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) God used one of the most terrifying situations imaginable. Like, for real, put yourself in those three guys' shoes. Okay? That is horrifying. To be standing there facing an idol that you know you cannot bow to. You know, like, could you imagine... Dude, like Seton, like me and you and Colin are all standing in the middle of all these thousands of people and all of our friends that were children of God too bow and as you, us three, are standing there, you know, probably like you're over there, I'm right here, Colin's way over there, and we stand here and we're like, we can't bow. You know how terrifying that is? And... Yes, their fear was probably a lot worse than some of the fear that we go through. But if you take their situation and apply it to your life today, we go through similar situations like that all the time. It might not be to the degree of being burned to death, but we go through situations all the time where we're faced with problems. We're faced with situations that other people that we, our peers, fall to, and you're standing there single-handedly. You're standing there by yourself knowing, I can't give in to this. I can't give in to the temptation. And it's terrifying. It's a storm in your life. But God used that terrifying situation, and he'll use your terrifying situation too. But he used it to put those men through that mess so that they could be blessed by it. In, in both of these situations with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and with Joseph, not only was God using the storm to bless them, but once the storm was over, he was able to use them to further his kingdom. That is a God storm. And I'm, I'm coming to a close if you want to come to the music. That's a God storm. That's a situation that you didn't put yourself into and... You didn't bring on yourself by disobedience, but you're going through a whirlwind anyways. But it's going to better you. It's going to bring you to a new place in God. And your response when you're put in the middle of a storm that you didn't bring on yourself through disobedience and it isn't being brought on by Satan, it must be, your response must be to stand, tuck your chin, continue living honestly for God. And if you do that, the the Holy Ghost will strengthen you and keep you through that storm. And when you reach the other side after all the things that you've went through, remaining loyal and faithful to God, He will bless you beyond measure. And in turn, you'll be in a position of power and gifting and spiritual authority where God can use you to operate on a supernatural level and further the kingdom of God. And finally, as I'm closing, and you can stand with me if you want to, the, the Number one thing that we have to do whenever we feel ourselves going through a storm, self-analysis. Okay, that's heavy and it's hard to do, but whether it's a storm that's a form of attack from your adversary to destroy you, or if it's a storm of course correction that you brought on yourself, or if it's a storm that is bringing you through the valley that has to be crossed in order to get to the mountaintop, we have to be able to step back, look at the situation with the mind of Christ, and analyze ourselves. Have I disobeyed the Lord in some way? Have I stepped outside the will of God? If the answer is yes, repent now while the mercy of the Lord is new every morning. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Get back on the path to promise and salvation today. Do not wait. Analyze your life. And if the answer is no, What's going on around me? Is this a God thing or an adversary thing? Am I being torn apart or am I being developed and worked on in some way? What spirit is this storm of? We have to put on the mind of Christ and let his light shine into the deepest corners of my life so that we can understand the storm that we're in, learn the lesson and accomplish the goal to come out on the path to promise that will save our souls. These altars, I'm going to open them up today. And I don't know what storms you're going through in your life. I don't know if you're even going through a storm right now or not. But come down to these altars today, if you will. Find a place to pray and search your heart. 
recommit to God. Make sure that you're still on the path that God has intended for you because God wants to bless you. He wants to use you. So open up your heart. Let God work on you today. If you're not going through a storm right now, get some prayer time in and let God prepare you for the ones that are surely going to come. Pray for the people around you today. Strengthen the kingdom of God and remember that God has his way in your whirlwind. Remember that scripture in the back of your mind as you pray today that God has his way in the whirlwind and the dust of his feet are the clouds of despair that you might feel in your life. Those are the dust of the feet of God. And if you feel like you're in the middle of a storm, you feel like you're in the middle of a circumstance that you don't understand and you don't know what the end of it is, that is the, that is the evidence of God in your life. Trust in the word of God that he is in the middle of your storm. He is in the middle of your circumstance and he is going to bring you through it. Lift up your hands and pray today. I just feel like saying something because I believe that the Lord is this kind of message the enemy is going to really try to stop your ears up keep you from hearing and moving because he's going to go directly against what he preached about there's no condemnation because when you go through a trial that's when he wants to attack you and I have no doubts that this word came from the Lord today but the enemy wants no response. He doesn't want you to, he wants you to shrug it off, ignore it. Oh, that was for somebody else. But I'm telling you that the Lord's here for us today and for individuals. And while he was preaching about the, the shepherd going to find that lost sheep, I've been studying about shepherding and the way they do things. And that often when they find that sheep, they don't pull them out right away. Because they're so panicked and they're, they're so active that uh, they will fight against the shepherd as he tries to reach for them. And they can get more ensnared. They can get more tangled up and even endanger themselves. So the shepherd will simply watch, keep an eye on them, but let them wear out. Let them get weary. Let them get tired so that then they can just pull them on out. And there's not that kind of resistance. And you feel like, I am getting so tired you are right on the verge of that miracle. You'll fight it if you got too much energy. But when you start feeling weary, when you start feeling weak, that's when the Lord's like, I'm here to get you. God's here to get you today. He preached the word. It's for you. Whatever you're going through is, is for your development. It's for your betterment. It's going to help you. Count it all joy. And you feel weary right now, but I'm telling you, the Lord's in this house to get you today. Come on, somebody. Now lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm ready now. Hallelujah. I thought I was just going under, but I see now you're fixing to take me out of this place. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. This is not the end of you. This is the beginning. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Reach out to your help. Take the hand of the Lord in this house today. Pray with somebody. Speak a word of faith into their life. Don't let your brother or sister go down. Come on. Pray with them. Help them today.
Thank you, Jesus. I want you to, I want you to listen. It always seems like the end of the road until he opens up the Red Sea. There was no doubt in the minds of every one of those Israelites while they stood at the bank of that Red Sea. Nobody thought, nobody had any idea because nobody had ever seen the waters parted. This is the end. Where have you led us to? How by following you have I found myself here? Stand still and see the salvation of your God. That you may not have seen God deliver on that sort before, but that don't mean it ain't going to happen. You may have never seen what God's about to do in your life. But that does not mean that it ain't about to happen. Oh, come on, take somebody by the hand. You tell them, this ain't the end. Oh, it looks like the end. And if God don't step in, it would be the end. But he'll make a way where there is no way. Come on. He'll make a path where there's never been a path. Woo! He'll let your feet walk on ground that's never been walked on before because he's going to bring you out. Woo! What you're going through is not for the enemy to get the victory, but it's so he can get the glory. God's going to use you to get the glory. Come on, you need to believe it right now. There's a wind blowing, a Holy Ghost wind blowing, and it's about to open up a path. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I've said it many times, and, and Brother Elijah preached it today. God is a God of first times and last chances. They'd never seen anybody walking around in a fiery furnace. That's the first time they ever seen that. For the three Hebrew boys, this, is, this was their last chance. And God worked on both ends. He saved the boys alive. And he showed that kingdom. I can do things that you've never seen and never dreamed of when it comes to my people. God's going to take care of you. God's going to make a way. Listen, you get weary. It doesn't mean it's your last breath. It means the Lord's about to step in. Don't give up. Keep looking up. Take his hand and let him deliver you. God's going to make a way where there is no way. You believe it? Hallelujah. Fantastic. Fantastic word. About being in the storm. That's fantastic. It encourages me today. Because guess what? Pastors don't get a free pass on, on storms. Pastors' families don't get a pass on storms, do we? <laughs> we 
we got to know how to, how to act when the storm comes too. I'm thankful for that word of God today. Get somebody by the hand lifted to heaven. Let's pray one more time. I mean, you pray for whoever, whoever you got by the hand, you pray for them. You don't pray for yourself right now. You pray for who you got by the hand. Come on, you start praying a prayer of faith. You start praying a prayer that Jesus prayed that their faith won't fail. Hallelujah. Lord, I know in this world we're going to have tribulation. But you told us to be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And I know that you're not going to take us out of the world, but you're going to keep us through the trouble, in the trouble, out of the trouble. Lord, you're going to keep us when it comes. Lord, you're going to be with us when it falls on us. Lord, you're going to be with us in the storm and in the rain and in the fire and in the flood. Wow! The Lord is on my side, and I won't be afraid. In the name of Jesus, keep my brother, keep my sister, keep us all. In the name of Jesus, come on now, give him a hand, and I wish you could just shout for a minute. Just shout unto God with a voice of triumph. This is not the end of me. Get you a shouting partner for just a second and look them dead in the eye and tell them, say, this ain't the end. It ain't the end. 